Once again, we see so many young players at the top of the leaderboard in the Disc Golf Pro Tour, especially on the MPO card. So it's just kind of, you know, got me thinking, is it possible that 2023, the 2023 season, is it the passing of the torch from the the pros in the uh, the 2000s and the 2010s and honestly kind of the early, early, early 2020s, like 2021 pretty much? Uh, because last year and this year, we're just seeing so many more younger players on the MPO side, especially coming sort of out of the woodwork and competing and then some of them not just competing but winning or coming really really close to winning now i know that some of these players have won before but i definitely think we need to start having this conversation is it possible that we are seeing the passing of the torch the old guard is not you know winning as often and the new guard is coming in and taking their place so something to think about and something we'll discuss let's go ahead and let's get into the show Hey everybody, what is up? It's Antonio. Welcome to episode 12 here on Teach Play Disc Golf, a Gladiator Disc Golf podcast. I am so excited for today's episode. We have a lot of really cool things to talk about. And I know I went pretty long on last week's episode. I ideally like to keep these episodes around the 40, 45 minute mark. Last week was over an hour, so I tried really hard with today's show notes to make sure that I can keep it uh, to the 45 minute, maybe not a little bit shorter, kind of give you some of that time back. But I want to go ahead and before we get into everything, let me run you through the show. So the first thing we're going to talk about is Paige Pierce. Uh, in case you didn't know, uh, she won. So we'll talk, we'll talk about that. We are also going to discuss Ella Hansen and Emily Beach. So a few things to talk about there. We'll talk about uh, MPO just a little bit. We have some pretty cool things to discuss with that. And then we're going to discuss a disc golf skill, specifically putting uphill. And I have some details and some tips to help with that and kind of what I've been doing for the last few, uh, several weeks to a few months. I've been testing some things and I want to share my findings with you. After that, we're going to review a very cool disc, one that maybe you've never thrown before. So this might be a great opportunity for you to try out a brand new disc. We'll recap the OTB Open, and then we'll preview the Beaver State Fling. So let's go ahead and let's get right into it. Honestly, it was so cool seeing Paige Pierce play so well. Uh, she got her second victory of the season. Um, we'll talk about what the season has been like for her in a little bit, but I just wanted to focus on this moment for her. So happy for her. She played so well, did so well. She had a few mishaps on, on round three and round three, but Ella Hansen could not take advantage of those, and so those mishaps didn't turn into anything serious. But it was just so cool watching her play again. This is the third time she's won the OTB Open, which is also the third time it's been the OTB Open. I believe um, this tournament used to be the SFO, the San Francisco Open. Um, oh man, what was the course? I think it was Glen Eagles where they used to play. It was a pretty open course. 
but I think that's what this tournament used to be, and it's been repurposed, so to speak. OTB is this is the main sponsor for it, and so it was just really cool watching her win, watching her play, um, really hitting some really cool lines and making a lot of smart decisions. Uh, and so, congratulations to Paige Pierce on her second victory of the season. I'm super happy for her. She played really well. She earned it. Uh, she set the pace from the very beginning to the point where Ella had a really hard time catching up. Now, what's crazy is that in round two, Paige shot minus 12, uh, which is just an insane, uh, just absolutely insane uh, score on any course, let alone a disc golf pro tour course, knowing just how difficult those courses are. This is the longest course that the women will play all year. So it was just really cool to see her shoot so well. And I just thought she, uh, that that round was just really, um, I lost my train of thought. What was I trying to say? Oh, yeah. So what was interesting is that she shot minus 12 that second round, played really cleanly. Obviously, you don't shoot minus 12 without playing cleanly. But Ella and uh, several other women in the field shot, you know, minus seven, minus eight. And so when round three started, I believe Paige only had a four stroke lead. Now, four strokes is a lot to make up, especially when someone's playing really well. But I was a little hesitant or uh, I was a little cautious, maybe is a better way of saying it, to think that Paige is going to be able to do it again. Not because she doesn't have five world titles, hasn't shown that she can compete in uh, clutch moments and in rounds when they really matter. But just when we're looking at her recent competitions, her the last half year even, but especially this season, she's been really inconsistent. So Paige had two, has two wins now this year. She was able to win this, but the other finishes for this year, 16th place, 27th place, 29th place. So quite literally, if Paige hasn't won, she hasn't made top 10, obviously not made the podium, hasn't even finished in the top 15 for, uh, for the, for the uh, Disc Golf Pro Tour and all that kind of stuff. And so... That was where a lot of my caution was coming from when I was like, is she going to be able to do it again? Because four strokes on a course like that, um, all it takes is for you to bogey, go OB, Ella to get a birdie. It's now a two-stroke lead. And then that happens twice and you're tied, let alone anything else that can happen if you take a double or triple, which we saw as possible. Um, I was a little cautious thinking she could do it for those reasons because I wasn't sure if she was going to be able to close it out. I'm really happy she did. I truly believe that the FPO field is better. Similar to how the MPO field is better when Ricky is playing, the FPO field is better when Paige is playing. And so I was expecting a much uh, closer battle than it ended up being, especially between her and Ella. Ella came out of the gates super hot, on fire. She went three under through three to start, may have even been four. I haven't looked at the scorecard uh, since since the, uh, since the it finished on Sunday. And so Ella came out firing on all cylinders, playing really, really well. And I can't help but think that it's possible that Ella may have basically lost, uh, lost some of her momentum. 
I think she lost some focus and was probably a little exhausted. I mean, think about it. You're four strokes down. You come out firing on all cylinders. You're playing super great through the first seven, nine holes. And you go into the back nine and you're still four strokes down. I mean, what the closest she got was three. So she got within three strokes of Paige and she was playing so well. And so I just wonder with the temperature, it was the hottest day of the weekend. There was not a whole lot of wind for the FPO field. We saw a different kind of uh, weather conditions, a different kind of wind for MPO. But for FPO, there was uh, hardly any wind. So it was hot. It was probably getting a little humid, a little sticky out there. And she was not gaining ground. And so... By the back nine, it almost seems like Ella lost a lot of her edge, a lot of her motivation maybe, and she ended up taking some pretty rough scores. She was mainly pars, but she took a bogey, and then she took a triple bogey on hole 17. I believe it was hole 17. It might have been hole 16. I can't remember now off the top of my head. Um, but So it was just one of those where I felt bad for her because Ella has been so close so many times let's see here yeah it was hole 17 that she took the triple she's been so close so many times this season uh, she was close at Waco as well and she just hasn't quite been able to put it all together to win she's put it all together for a great tournament great rounds but she hasn't put it all together yet for the win I seriously think that she will um win at some point this year i just think it's in the cards for her she's consistently near the top she's consistently in contention and so ella started off really well in her front nine and then her back nine was really rough in the grand scheme of things on the flip side emily beach started off really rough i even i you know let me let me double check but i'm pretty sure she took a few bogeys maybe even a triple at some point on the front okay no she took a bogey and a double bogey she did have uh, five birdies in there to kind of even out but i mean when Paige and ella were setting the pace she just was not competing at the level she needed to but then she completely turned it around that double bogey on hole nine really killed her and then she got a bogey on 10 as well and so she basically went into the final uh, eight holes she went to the final eight holes let's see one two one two three four she went in at one under into the final eight holes and then she rattled off six more birdies in eight holes which is just so impressive to finish seven under so emily had the complete opposite is what i was saying she started off fairly rough you know one under through 10 holes to and completely off the podium i think she got even as far down as maybe like sixth or seventh place and then she comes storming back on the final eight holes to go six under and finish on the podium in solo third, which is super exciting for her. Uh, I think that was great. We saw Emily earlier this season at the Blue Ridge Championships. And so if you didn't watch her there, I recommend you go check some of that coverage out. Emily is lefty. And so it was really cool watching all these righties tackle the course and then watching the lefty tackle the course as well. And Emily has some really good power too. So it's just really cool watching her play. And so I just really enjoyed the lead car. We had Own Scoggins on there as well. It was just a lot of fun. I will say I 
there, I think last week I'm running, you know, drawing a blank on what it was, but Owen really struggled with some of the distance, but she continues to astound me this season where she clearly does not have the distance of many other FPO players, but because she's so consistent, doesn't make a lot of mistakes, and she puts and approaches so well, Own is constantly in conversation. I mean, she finished second. Yeah, and she finished second. It was only four strokes behind Paige. And so just played really well. The whole lead card was fun to watch. Ella, by the end of it, you could tell she was exhausted. And I think a lot of it had to do emotionally exhausted from just how tough the round was. Um, but yeah, so FPO was really, really cool to watch. I'm sure a lot of you either saw or have heard about Katrina Allen's little mishap on hole 17. Um that was rough. She, I think, I think it ended up being an 11. It was a 10 or 11. I think it was an 11. Basically, she threw four discs over the water, all went OB until the, I think that's what it was, or four shots and three went OB. She was able to get them all back, which is awesome because that is a lot of discs. Even for a pro, that's a lot of discs to replace. But that really wiped her out of contention because Kat was tied for third at one point um, and really making a push for the podium. And so that really killed all of her score. I mean, you take an 11 on any hole and that's tough. Um, you know, one of the things I think that's even tougher about that is that it's on camera. Like I'm pretty certain I would be willing to bet that every disc golfer at some point has taken a snowman, which is an eight or worse. Like it's, it's happened. I mean, we see it happen to pros, it happens to amateurs. But one of the things that almost like makes it worse for Kat is that it was on camera. You know, we, we like to forget about those like par threes, par fours, even par fives where we end up taking an eight because it's just like, oh, and we hate looking at the scorecard where it has an eight, but it's like, at least nobody else had to see that except the people who were on my card or if it was a casual round, it was like just me or my buddies I was playing with. So like it was a little bit easier to stomach, but knowing that that is now on the internet, that's just, that's just gotta be tough mentally. And thankfully, you know, if it had to happen, I guess hole 17 is the time for it to happen because you don't want that. You don't want to play a whole round after taking an 11, but that was tough. Um, she composed herself so well. I mean, you can I, I can't imagine what that would feel like on the pro tour to take that score, throw all those discs into the water. Um, so I appreciate her keeping her composure. I know it's it'd be so easy to get frustrated and really lose her cool. But she, from what I saw, maybe I missed something, but from what I saw, she handled herself really well. But yeah, so that was all on the FPO side. On the MPO side, it was really interesting as well. Nobody until the very end really took control. It always seemed like there were multiple players who were in contention at one point or another and all from different cards. Like we almost had another chase card victory with Gannon Burr. When Gannon, I think he was chase card unless he might, he might have been the third card. But yeah, Gannon finishes his round and is in the lead by one or two strokes. And so you have the card with Emerson Keith uh, and Aaron Gossage and a few others who were having to um, kind of make up ground 
to catch up to Gannon and then also with with each other to beat each other and try and get on the podium. So it's kind of crazy how that all played out. What's even crazier is that um, Emerson Keith won his first elite series or major ever. Um, and so super happy for him. That is a huge accomplishment. What I didn't realize, what I didn't realize is that Emerson has the second longest streak of going from your first cash to your first elite series or major victory. And it was like 2,500 days, which is um, basically seven years, I think is what it added up to be. And that is just insane to think about. Um, the one person who had it longer than that was Matt Bell, who won the 20... 2019 Delaware Open uh, and that was his first pro tour victory elite series at the time and so um, that was really cool to witness obviously that does not mean that he has never won um, I think Nate Doss was saying or Terry was saying like he has almost 90 victories but they've never been an elite series or a major so it's really cool to see him kind of get um, the camel off his back with that emerson has been in contention multiple times a few years ago he was going head to head with paul Macbeth for uh world championship when paul won his fourth um i believe it was his fourth um he was going head to head with paul there and so he was almost having and then he just lost it in the final round um but it's just really cool to see him get that victory. Emerson is a really good player, really consistent game, really clean game. Um, he's sponsored by Lone Star Discs, which is awesome for them. You know, as a fairly new company, getting one of their sponsored players, getting a high-profile player to sign with them and then to go win an Elite Series, that is just awesome for them as a brand as well. So super happy for Emerson, happy for Lone Star Discs. Um, now, I want to go ahead and just ask you guys a really quick question. If you've been listening uh, for a while now and you haven't subscribed or you haven't followed on uh, Spotify or Apple, go ahead and do that now because that helps me know what kind of content you guys want to see. And also it tells other people through the algorithm that they need to check this out as well. And if you're enjoying it that much that you're subscribed or that you follow me, I would really appreciate a review or a comment, just sharing your thoughts, letting other people know what you like about this podcast and why they need to listen. That would mean a lot to me. So if you could go ahead and do that, I'd really appreciate it. Now let's go ahead and let's talk about our disc golf skill. Today we're talking about putting uphill. Now in the world of putting, there is a lot to talk about. Um, and so for this episode, I want to just focus on this one specific skill because it's something that challenges a lot of golfers. Now, putting uphill is inherently tough because you have gravity working against you. And so a 15-foot putt, depending on elevation, can feel like an 18 to even a 30-foot putt. And so dealing with that elevation change but the distance remaining the same really can mess with a lot of golfers. And so this was messing with me for a while. And, you know, in Texas, I didn't have a whole lot of elevation putting practice. The only time I had a elevation practice was when it was an elevated basket. 
But here in Tennessee, things are completely different. Disc golf is full of elevation. And so I've realized, hey, I have a lot of work to do with this elevated putting. Now, uh, several episodes ago, one of the first episodes, I talked about my putt being more of a spush, staggered stance. And so one of the things that I've learned is that when I'm putting this way, uphill, it's really hard to generate the speed that the disc needs. And so one thing I've actually been working on, and it's kind of twofold here, but the one thing that is twofold is I've been using spin putting a lot more. So when I have an uphill putt, instead of getting all these hinges involved with my with my knees and my hips and my and my shoulder for the pendulum and my wrist and my elbow i'm like hey let me just simplify this let me get in a comfortable stance okay i'm going to look at my target the camera right now but i'm going to look at my target and depending on how steep it is and how far it is i have to gauge okay how much speed do i need to put on this and since i put with pretty neutral putters in the mint bullet I need to put some hyzer on my putt, otherwise it might fly too straight and just or just possibly even turn over and not make it there. So I have found for my particular putting style that I keep my staggered stance and I just change the degree of hyzer I'll putt with. I'm not ever putting, you know, super crazy steep, but you guys get the point. And so I have just found that putting with a spin putt has been so much more beneficial and I've ended up making a lot more putts that way. And it's kind of crazy because I would have thought that getting more air under the under the disc when you're putting uphill would help carry it more. And that only is really the case if you have wind. So if you don't have wind, in my experience, I've basically found out that like, hey, I need to generate the force. And here's why. Gravity pulls a disc down a lot quicker on an uphill slope than when it's flat. And so that's because like the ground is kind of getting like closer to it too. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not a geologist or biologist or, you know, physicist. That would be the right one here because we're dealing with flight mechanics and everything too. But, you know, I'm not any of those things. But I imagine like the ground is rising. And so as an object is also rising along the ground, the the gravitational pull on it, um, obviously gravity pulls at the same rate. I think it's like 9.3 meters per second, but it's just going to have a greater effect on it because it is uphill. You also have a thing called force and momentum and that all plays in with uh, gravity. So basically before I start going down a rabbit hole, Spinning has given me the ability to reduce the number of hinges I'm using to putt and to really generate enough force to get the disc to travel all the way up to the basket and to make it more consistently. When I'm putting with a spin putt uphill, I'm not too worried about missing because it's uphill. And so in a lot of cases, the ground continues to slope up behind the basket. So you have a naturally built-in backstop and so that helps with confidence but then also i'm like i don't have all these moving components and so i can really just work on snapping my wrist using my fingers to kind of push the disc out get a little bit more spin on it and have it elevate that way 
And I have found great success with this. And I wanted to bring that up to you guys because I want to encourage you to try this. If you especially live around elevation and you are struggling with uphill putting, go ahead and give some spin putting a try. It is especially helpful when you have low ceilings and play in the woods. Um, because if you have a super lofty you know, push putt, it's going to be pretty difficult to do that uphill with a low ceiling. So that's where the spin putt can really come come in handy. Um, I've I've really enjoyed this style of putting so much on the uphill that it's actually leaking more into my normal putt. And so I'm actually finding that first off, if I'm basically inside 12 to 15 feet, I just do spin because I'm so close. I want to reduce the number of factors involved in the putt. So I started spinning pretty much inside 15. Now I'm also spinning on an uphill putt. Now when I get outside 15, I'm going back to my spush putt, but even then I've noticed there's more incorporation of the spin and I really dig it a lot. It's been super helpful. I've felt way more confident on the putting green because I feel like I have the disc coming out with controlled velocity. And that's been really cool experiencing that and seeing it hit the chains a lot more. I was looking through my uh, my putting stats and you know there are some rounds where it's like I haven't played for a week. It's the first round and I didn't warm up. I didn't warm up putting. So putting is like super low, like under 50%. But then it's like, okay, the second round I play, I'm back up to my normal, what's becoming my normal of like 70 to 80%. And so when I look at those rounds where I was clearly warmed up and I had my C1X sat percentages, it was like 83, 80, 76, 75, 80. I was like, this is awesome. So something is clicking, something is working. And so that has been really fun. And I've been using that, uh, I've been working on all this plan with my champ cap too. And so that has been really cool, dialing in that accuracy and growing uh, in my consistency with the champ cap. Super grateful for that putting tool. If you wanna try one, there's a link in the description uh, for you to basically get a discount on it when you, uh, when you try it out. So go ahead and check that out. But you don't need a champ cap to work on this putting skill specifically. So if you haven't worked on putting uphill or you struggle with it and you want to improve upon that, give spin putting a try with this and kind of mess around and see what works for you. If you already do this, uh, go ahead and comment and be like, hey, this is what I found works for me. Uh, do you use maybe a different putter? Do you use a mid-range? I know some people will putt with mid-ranges from uh, select distances because of the, the speed and the glide. So go ahead and share that as well. So I hope you guys found that tip super helpful. If you need some help with putting or maybe your backhand or you have some other questions, go ahead and download the GiveGo coaching app. I'm on there as an expert. I can help you. All you have to do is send me a video and I'll answer your questions with the video back and some annotations on the screen to help you with your form. And also, if you use the code Regiro, you'll get your first session for free so you can see if you like the app. So go ahead and give it a try today. It currently is only available on iOS, but hopefully soon we'll be able to get it on Android as well. Now let's go ahead and let's review the Mint Discs Jackalope. The Jackalope is a eight speed, five glide, minus two turn, one fade fairway driver. Uh, 
I would say eight speeds per Jaeger. I believe it's a 1.8 centimeter rim or an 18 millimeter rim. Um, it's in that seven to nine speed family at that eight speed specifically. And I've just been, I have had these discs for a long time. Um, I have it in eternal and apex plastic. And initially I was only throwing forehands with them and I wasn't crazy about it, but as my backhand has improved, I've really enjoyed throwing the jackalope. I recently put it back in the bag to kind of test it against the mockingbird. And right now it has really, really surprised me. So this particular run of the jackalope, uh, I have a, a red one in my bag right now, but this yellow one and the red one are pretty similar. There's a little bit of dome. It's not super domey, okay? So that makes it really comfortable for forehands as well. It's a great, it has, it's multifunctional in that way for backhand and forehand. And at a eight speed rim, it's not too wide for any player from beginner to experience to throw uh, or to hold and really get a good grip on. One of the things that I like about the Jackalope so much recently is that it is reliable and consistent. And what I mean by that, I know those could kind of be synonyms, but I do mean them in a little different in a little different way. So reliable is in the sense that you can rely on the disc to have some turn and then to have baby fade at the end. And the consistency comes into play, like no matter how much, obviously if you do like crazy amount of hyzer, but if you do just a touch of hyzer, because of that turn, you can still trust that turn to help the disc flip up. And depending on your power, it might even keep turning even with some hyzer thrown on it. And so it has reliable turn and fade characteristics that are, that are consistently exhibited in its flight almost regardless of the release angle. And that is a really helpful tool to have in the bag, especially if you're someone like me who likes to throw um, hyzers, hyzer to flat, so to speak. Um, I don't throw a ton of anhyzers, I'm working on that. But I really enjoy having a disc like this that does that for me, because it just makes my game a lot more consistent. So the Jackalope is a fairly new disc to the Mint lineup. It's not their newest mold or anything like that, but uh, I haven't heard of a lot of people throwing it. And I would encourage you, if you're looking for that neutral to understable fairway driver and you wanna try something new, go ahead and check out the Jackalope. You can find them on otbdiscs.com and you can get free shipping with my discount code. Um, so go ahead and check that out. Um, I think this can fill a slot for a lot of players from beginners to more experienced players. It's not so flippy that for a beginner, um, you know, it's never going to fade. Like this will definitely fade for a beginner, but um, because of its minus two turn, that basically is right out of the box. You don't have to beat it in to get that turn, at least in my experience with the ones that I have. Um, since you don't have to beat it in, like a beginner is going to experience some of that glide, is going to get to see some really cool flights. And then as you develop your skills and become a more experienced player that can throw further and with more consistency, you're going to be able to shape some really cool shots with this disc on Anheuser, flat and hyzer lines. So go ahead and check this out if you haven't already done so. I think you guys will really, really like this disc. 
And so the last thing I want to talk about for today's show is uh, recapping the OTB Open and then previewing the Beaver State Flank. So we'll talk real quick about the OTB Open as, as a whole, and then we'll go through uh, basically um, the score. Yeah, we'll go through the final results and uh, give you guys an update on who finished where. So overall, I really did like this course. It was really cool just over the years seeing how much work the OTB crew, uh, those who have worked on the course, like how much effort they've put into it and just such such a good job that they've done. Honestly, I messaged them, I think yesterday from the time I record this video and I just reached out to them and showed my appreciation. Um, you know, being OTB sponsored has been one of uh, the greatest things ever and being able to see this uh, tournament go so well and so many great players there and then just having the finishes that we did with some you know fingernail biting at the end it was just it was just really really cool to see that and to just see uh, them host such a great event and knowing the hours and weeks and months of effort that they put in to create the course and just curate it to the pros. Um, really, really cool to see. I really enjoyed watching it. I do think that most of the OB was fair. I love the water plays. I think it's great pulling in those natural elements. And I love just how how uh, attentive to detail they were to out of bounds. Like they made sure that there was always a painted line, which should not even be like exemplary but it is for some of these courses that we see the pros play, like having a clearly defined OB line doesn't always happen. And it was just nice seeing OTB take that extra effort and do that and everybody else who worked on the course. And so if you guys ever see a course and you're just like so thoroughly impressed with it and you can figure out who, who you know, ran it, designed it, and you can contact them and give them some of that positive feedback and encouragement, I want to encourage you to go ahead and do that because it's just so important. There is so much work that goes into running a tournament, which is honestly one of the reasons why I have like hesitated in doing so. There's just a lot that goes into it. Uh, and I don't want to commit to something that I that I can't do right now. But these people who do it, they commit to it and they do it so well. Um, so definitely if you're able to find someone uh, who's hosting an event as a TD or a course designer, go ahead and give them a kind word of encouragement. I'm, I know it means a lot to them because they know how much work and effort goes into as well. And it's just nice to, to, to hear that acknowledgement. Now, overall, OTB went really, really well. The, the competition was great. The players performed well. It was really cool to see. So we will go ahead and I already talked about a lot of the players. So we'll just basically recap. Yeah, my notes. Basically, I touched on all my notes. So let's go ahead and let's recap uh, the, the finishing. We'll start with MPO. So the final results. Emerson Keith in first place at minus 23. Gannon in second at minus 21. Isaac Robinson, minus 18, tied for third with Cole Radolin and Aaron Gossage. All three of those players, they shot Isaac minus three, Cole minus two, Aaron minus one, the final round. So if they had shot rounds that were more consistent with previous days, Emerson would have been given a run for his money for sure. 
Uh, tied for six, we have Anthony Barella, Calvin Heinberg, and James Proctor at minus 17. In 10th place, we have Vino Makala at minus 16. And tied for 10th, we had Garrett Gerthy, Jake Hebenheimer, and Gavin Rathbun at minus 15. So we had an eight-stroke uh, spread for the top 10, which is always cool to see fewer strokes separating the top 10, fewer strokes than the number of spots. There's always something good to see because that means like competition's going really, really well. On the FPO side, as discussed, Paige minus 25 in first place, owns Scoggins in second at minus 21, Emily Beach in third at minus 17, fourth place Ella at minus 16, fifth place Missy at minus 15, uh, Haley King sixth at minus 14, Maria Oliva seventh at minus 13, <laughs> and then tied for eighth, we had Kat Merch and Stacey Haas at minus 11, and then in 10th place, solo 10th, Saya Nanda at minus 10. So we have 15 strokes separating the top 10 FPO players. And man, a lot of those players there were all like one stroke away from each other. We had very few ties. One through seven were all singular players. There were no ties, which is crazy to think about. We went uh, from third to seven. Those scores were like 17, 16, 15, 14, 13. So that's pretty wild and crazy. Um, so yeah, so that is how the OTB Open wrapped up score-wise. Let's go ahead and let's transition to the Beaver State Fling. Now this year, the Beaver State Fling, uh, first off, this tournament takes place in Oregon. So it's cool, like this time of year, it's a little, little warmer there, but still cool. And so they're up in Oregon, the Portland area, I believe. And Beaver State Fling has been on tour for a long, long time. It used to be, I think, like an elite series. But I think because of uh, MacGyver and Glenn Devere and everything, like how tight the fairways are and just how um, not spectator friendly those fairways are, I think it's been demoted because of those reasons and cellul cellular reception has not been great uh, for, some, for some of those reasons. Uh, but basically, a lot of people know Beaver State Flame because of Philo Brathwaite's Albatross. And I looked up, I think it said 2016. I think it was 2016. Uh, I'm forgetting. It was 2016 or 2019. One of those years. I think 2016, though. Which, if you're a disc golf fan and have been for a while, you know that that video is going to start circulating if it hasn't already in some of your circles. Because it always does, like every year. And, uh, on its own and then always around the beaver state fling that video comes back because philo's albatross there is just insane insane to accomplish so beaver state fling is a super cool course you got some massive trees in the pacific northwest and so we don't have a lot of these like smaller trees littering the fairways we just got giant behemoth trees in the way and so it's really cool watching these players because you need touch you need shape shopping capability um, shape, sh shot shaping. I did. Wow. Shot shaping capability. I think I messed that up earlier. Um, but you also need power. And so it'll be really cool to see, uh, a lot of these younger players who maybe haven't ventured to the Pacific Northwest before haven't played Beaver State Fling really kind of see how they perform out there. Um, it's a really cool course. It's got some open holes, but it's got a lot of wood, uh, wooden wooden holes and also some trees in the fairway so i'm really excited this is a great course it's beautiful especially this time of year in the spring with all the greenery so i'm super excited now i checked for grip six picks on udisc 
and they are not up yet. So I can't share my picks. Uh, it is a sober series, so I'm sure the picks will come up. And when they do, I will share them on my Instagram and in my Discord. So if you don't follow me on Instagram, you definitely want to do that. And if you want to join my Discord, we have a it's a small, but it is a really cool disc golf community that we have there. We are active. We're talking uh, almost every day. And so that has been really cool just getting to know the people there uh, and just talking with them. And, you know, I'll pop in and I'll ask some questions, you know, get people thinking about their bags, discs that they're throwing, form help. So if you want to join that Discord, go ahead and click the link in the bio as well. Well, that is all I have for you today, guys, for this week. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you enjoyed episode 12. I know I did. It was a blast putting together, uh, and I just enjoy talking disc golf with you. And so I want to leave you with three things. First, go ahead and teach someone disc golf this week, whether that's online, in person, a newbie, uh, just basically showing them disc golf in general or giving them a tip. Teach someone how to play this week. Second off, make sure you go out and play yourself. Uh, it's always fun to get out there, either a solo round, casual round with friends, or in a mini. And if you're in a tournament this weekend, good luck to you. I hope you play well. And the final thing, always remember, have a great round. Mm -hmm.